So it was about the year 2000, and um, Ashley and I, at that time, we had uh, three small, relatively small children. Oh, goodness, 16 years ago. Uh, we are bona fide empty nesters as of this week. I don't know what she thinks about it, but I'm, I love it. I just, I do. I just, I love it. So the year was 2000, and uh, it was a Monday uh, morning, and Bryant said, Dad, uh, I, I, I want to talk to you. you no, know, it wasn't Monday morning. It was Monday night. We had our family prayer time. By the way, if you're a parent and you have your kids, especially your small kids in the house, I highly recommend some prayer time at night. And Dad, priest of the home, pastor of your home, I encourage you to lead out in that. Well, anyhow, I'm praying. And Bryant says, Dad, I want to talk to you, but I want to talk to you tomorrow. I said, okay, that sounds good. So uh, it was Tuesday, and we had a big faith evangelism teams going out. And so before we went out, I thought, well, I better run home and see what my son so important wants to talk to me about. And Bryant shared with me that he wants to get baptized. Now, let me give you a heads up, parents. If your child, and they're young, and they're asking you to help them with baptism, what they're probably trying to say is, I want Jesus in my life. And they don't know how to verbalize that, but they can you know, they can put baptism, you know, they can say, I want to get baptized. So we shared with him, and Bryant prayed to receive Christ, and, uh, and then what happened next was just, was just fun. It was just funny. So uh, we walked into the kitchen, and there was Ashley, and um, Ashley said, oh, Bryant, that's wonderful, and she reached out and, and hugged Bryant, and then Hannah, the oldest of the siblings, she says, oh, Bryant, come here. I'm going to give you... A, I want to give you a big hug. And so he walked over, and Hannah hugged him. Ashley's hugging him. I'm hugging him. And then there's Leighton, and he's like five years old. And everybody turns to him and looks at him, and he looks at everybody, and he goes, Well, amen, brothers and sisters. <laughs> amen, brothers and sisters. And we all just laughed, and yeah, he's five. When I, when I read this text today, I, I had... That moment, well, amen, brothers. The family has all come together. It's the moment that really we've been looking forward to. We've been waiting on when Joseph and the other 11 brothers are now having this royal, regal reunion with their father, the patriarch, Jacob. Let me remind you, Abraham, Isaac, and this guy, Jacob. And then you have the, the 12 brothers. And so we're going to just plunge right into this narrative, this riveting narrative of when the events have been orchestrated. God in His sovereignty has allowed some very treacherous things to happen. Why? I don't know. I really don't understand a lot. I, I, I do know that God is sovereign. He is in control. And I do know, however, that that path that He takes us through, if we're His children, it will be a path of suffering. It will be a path of travail. It will be a hard path. But again, I don't have to understand everything. I just have to believe it and accept it that God is sovereign. He's providential. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. I love the, the Greek word, the pantocrator. He is the omnipotent God of the universe. And He takes us as His children, and He takes us down this path, and He allows these horrific things to happen to us. He could intervene. Sometimes He does. Sometimes he doesn't intervene in the way we want him to, but still he's in control. And now meandering through life, this mighty river is flowing, and it comes to this culminating point where these brothers and this dad are reunited. 
if, if you're new to the, the study, let me just recap for you very briefly what is going on. Up to this point, Joseph now has revealed his true identity to his brothers. It was a very moving moment last week when he says, I am Joseph. I am the brother that you sold into slavery. Remember that, guys, 20-plus years ago? You, you cast me in a pit. The Midianite trailers, traders, they grabbed me and they pulled me out of the pit. They sold me into slavery, into Egypt. But I am not here to fight you. I am not here to flee from you. I am here to forgive you. Isn't that good? I'm not here to fight or flight. I am here to forgive. And because he forgives, he sets in motion these enormous tidal wave tsunami of blessings. And it's because Joseph has the spiritual wherewithal to extend grace and forgiveness in the face of horrific actions taken toward him. Betrayal. I mean, basically, you could say they just about murdered him. If they're going to sell him for a few pieces of silver, this young Hebrew boy does not have a chance. And yet God in His sovereignty takes that mess and creates this edifice of a message. He, he takes this incredible test of Joseph and builds upon a powerful testimony that here we are, the beneficiaries of reading it and entering into it. And as I said, said last week, God has preserved this story for your benefit because scattered throughout Great Hills Baptist Church and whoever's here and listening on TV or Internet, what, what, wherever you may be, all of us are human beings and we all are betrayed, we, we all are forgotten, we all are mistreated, and, and yet if we're God's children, God takes all of that. God has a way of taking all of that and using it for our blessing and for our benefit. That's just God's modus operandi. That's how He operates. So now, we come to the scene where uh, things just start happening with massive alacrity. I mean, they're just, they're just moving with great speed and eagerness, and there's just a flow here that I hope you just get caught up in it. I hope there are times in this sermon you'll just say, well, amen, brothers and sisters. Number one, I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter 45. I want to get, begin reading in verses 16 through 20, and then I'll stop there and just make a few comments about this, this text we're reading. So it's chapter 45, and we're going to look at verse 16, all right? Now the report. The report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. So Joseph, you're with me now. He, he's got all the brothers together. He reveals who he is. And then he says, I, I, and, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say now to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart and go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. Now this is, this is Pharaoh speaking, by the way, guys. This is a royal Pharaoh welcome. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Now, by the way, this is not a suggestion this is a royal decree. This is the king of the land. This is Pharaoh himself. And he says, take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Now, remember, there are 11. There are 11 of them, brothers. He says, take the carts and go bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods. 
for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So Pharaoh is happy for Joseph. He hears the good news that Joseph's brothers are alive, and they have not ceased through the famine that has penetrated the, that whole region of the world. And, and now they hear the news that Jacob, the father, the patriarch, you know, if, if the brothers can get to him in time and, and, and say, Dad, come, come, there is a place for you in Egypt. And Pharaoh just, he just kind of gets swept up in this reunion. And there's a good word for us as followers of Christ when we are rejoicing and when we are reunited and when we are getting along as the people of God, it has a dynamic impact on people around us. No wonder Jesus said, Father, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one so that the world may know that the Father has sent the Son. There's power in unity. There's power in reunion. So Pharaoh issues this decree. And by the way, I, I want us to extract or extrapolate a page from the leadership manual of Mr. Pharaoh. Uh, if you're here today and you are a, a supervisor, a president, a coach, a boss, if you have any leadership in your job, would you raise your hand for just a minute? Let me see who you are. God bless you. Many of you have that role. Take a, take a page out of, just, just as a sidebar, a side note, he is exhibiting some very good leadership here for us. And if you want to bless those that you love, if you want to bless your good assistants, and you want to bless your uh, those who report to you, if you will, and if you want to just bring goodwill, then do good things for their family. <laughs> I know it's kind of simple, isn't it? But know their wives' names, and maybe know their kids' names, and know when their birthday is, and maybe be able to reach out to them and encourage them. And as the manager and as the leader, it will just bolster the whole team. It will bolster the whole unit or the corporation or wherever the church, well, wherever there's people and there are leadership and there are people in charge. If you will take a moment and just extract a little page from his pharaohic leadership 101 manual, I think that's a good word for us and we can learn from Pharaoh. So he blesses Joseph's family with extravagance, grand fashion. And nobody is more excited, I think, than Joseph himself. Next, the next scene is this wealth of provision. Look at verses 21 through 24. Man, he just didn't bless them. He really, really blesses them. I'm in verse 21. If you'll pick up with me, it says, Now the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, verse 22 says, to each man changes of garments. But to Benjamin, <laughs> Joseph, but to Benjamin, he's like, I'm going to show favoritism. I don't really care what y'all think about it. I'm going to show favoritism because this is Benjamin. He's my brother. And he gave him 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. Now, don't, don't judge him too harsh. I, I know that favoritism usually breeds contempt and so forth, but Joseph, he, he's so elated. He, he's so overwhelmed by the goodness and grace of God. He's lavishing it out upon his brothers and, and to his blood brother, the youngest, the baby. The baby always kind of gets spoiled, right? I mean, the baby just gets spoiled a little bit. And so the baby Benjamin's going to get spoiled a little bit, and big brother Joseph's going to do it. And he sent his father these things. Some of y'all are going to read that and say, whoop-dee-doo. Let me tell you, whoop-dee-doo. This, this is a big deal. Ten donkeys 
loaded with the good things of Egypt. Time out. What is going on in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, that is devastatingly difficult during this time? Anybody? It's a famine, right. And in the midst of this famine, he's loading up all of these good things and 10 female donkeys loaded with, ah, with grain and bread and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, a very interesting phrase here, and we'll come back to this in a moment. I have three different interpretations I want to share with you what's going on when Joseph sent his brothers away and said these words, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Interesting. Verse 21 through 24. And if you're taking notes, I call this a wealth of uh, provision. <laughs> I have to ask this question. How must these brothers be feeling? Well, what must they be feeling? You're talking about a roller coaster. I mean, they have plummeted to the depths. Benjamin has this silver cup of divination in his backpack. And the brothers are just devastated thinking, oh my word, we are doomed. I mean, we are now just going to be slaves forever to this royal governor and Pharaoh. And, and it was all a plan. It, it was just all a ploy by, by Joseph. He says, no, you're not guilty. I put the cup there. I was testing you to see, would you betray your brother as you betrayed me? But you didn't. You, you forgave your brother. You rallied around your brother, and you were willing to be slaves. You were willing to die for your brother. Totally unlike the way you treated me, but in 20-plus years, you have changed, and because you have changed, and because you have repented, now the blessings of God are about to, are about to flow. So what does this last phrase mean? I, I, I read this, and I'm thinking, what is Joseph saying here when he says, now... See that you do not become troubled along the way. Let me, let me make sure you understand what's happening. Joseph is sending the brothers back to Canaan, 250 miles. Are you with me? 300, no, th 250 to 300 miles. Take about two to three weeks, at least three weeks. And he says, do not be agitated or troubled as you go. There are three interpretations of this. One, Chuck Swindoll says, he's telling his brothers, don't get proud because of your blessings. And don't envy Benjamin because I have chosen to bless him. Don't be agitated or perturbed in your spirit. Some of us are just easily offended. Some of us just get upset at the drop of a hat and we'll help you drop the hat, okay? And, and, and so there's just this warning, don't lighten up, guys. It's okay. I have blessed you, and, and you, you are going to be a blessing. Don't be agitated. Number two, Henry Morris says, no. He's telling the brothers, don't doubt or let fear arise in your hearts. Because when you go <laughs> and you say, Dad, oh, Dad, um, you, remember, you remember Joseph? Uh, we, we told you that the wild beast had, uh, had eaten him, and we gave you the bloody garment to prove that. Well, that was all a hoax, and, and that was all a ploy. And, and, and well, Dad, he, he's alive. And Joseph is anticipating that and saying, don't fear. It's okay. Jacob will be all right. He's a big man with a big heart, and he's got big shoulders, and he will, he will be able to bear up under it. So as you're making your journey... 
what should be a time of elation and euphoria and blessing and just a wonderful time, when you make your way to Jacob, don't fear, don't falter, don't back away. Move forward and say, Jacob, Father, we're sorry. We did that to Joseph, but Joseph is okay. Come with us. And don't fear if Jacob says, well, no matter what Jacob says, you just do what you're supposed to do. Okay? Then the third interpretation is physical. He's just saying, with all of these supplies and all of these blessings, guys, be, be careful. Look out along the way as you're in this mighty caravan, and there's all these marauders, and there are all these bandits out there, and they're starving, and so just be careful. I don't know which is the answer. Maybe it's all three, but this much I know. There is a royal welcome from Pharaoh. There is a wealth of provision being provided for these brothers. And now here comes the conversation. And let me fast forward to verse 25 through 28. All right, you ready? Okay, here we go. Some of y'all are looking at me like, you act like you're going somewhere. You act like there is a, there is a pinnacle, there is an apex, a climax, and there is. And it's a part of me that just wants to say, let's just go to the end of the story. <laughs> let's just get to the part where Joseph sees his dad. And we're going to get there in a minute, but... The Bible is, is, is building. It's, has, it's having this crescendo moment. And to be a good interpreters of the Scripture, we have to get into this hermeneutical river. And we got to flow with it. And, and we got to let it crest. And when it does, I, again, I, I hope you'll join my son and say, well, amen. Look what great things God has done, brothers and sisters. Verse 25 says, Now, then they went up out of Egypt. And they came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Oh, Dad, um, Joseph is alive. Can you imagine that for just a moment? You thought your 17-year-old son had died. I mean, by the way, the, the people you trusted the most told you that he died. He was dead, and there's the bloody garments. And now those same brothers 22 years later are saying, Dad... Joseph's not dead. He, he's actually alive. And, and you're not going to believe this next part. Daddy rules the whole land. Joseph is the governor of all of Egypt. He's the prime minister of Egypt. And the Bible says, and Jacob's heart stood still. He, he just did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, did he tell them that this prime minister spoke Hebrew, maybe? And when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob... <laughs> that good? Is anybody else getting anything out of this but me? Is that not amazing? And Jacob, their father, he revived his spirit, revived within him. And Israel said, it is enough. <laughs> Joseph, my son, is still alive, and I will go and I will see him before I die. So the wondrous conversation is this one. It happens to happen between the dad and the 11 brothers. And I think about these brothers, the joy that they had. Number one, the joy comes from Joseph is alive. Number two, and by the way, 
these brothers, the journey is supposed to take three weeks. I think if they didn't have all of those goods and cornucopia of blessings, I think it would have taken them like a week and a half. I think they're just so excited. And man, Joseph is alive. They are forgiven. The, the thing that they had haunted them for all of those years, that sin that they had egregiously committed against their blood brother, that God, God had forgiven them. And then Joseph had forgiven them. And if that's not enough, brothers and sisters, we are stinking rich. <laughs> We're rich. We, we're going to be, no, we're not going to be hungry anymore. We're going to live in a land called Goshen. Our, whoa, whoa, our brother is the man in charge. This is amazing. And so they rush into Jacob's presence, and they speak to him those words that I read just a moment ago, and Chuck Swindoll says these words. He says, here's what I think happened. The text says Jacob was stunned. Some translations say his heart fainted. The Hebrew literally says his heart grew numb. I think the aging gentleman was so overwhelmed by George, he was shocked by the news. I think he had a mild coronary. <laughs> I think his heart just made a stop for a brief moment. You know, I thought about something, church. I thought about the news. When there was no hope, and you were given hope. Maybe the disciples, when they were in that room, and they said, he's dead. And all of our hopes are dead with him, we thought. At first we thought he might be a military conqueror. And then at least we thought through love he would conquer, but now he's, well, he's dead. And let's just go back to fishing. And let's just go back to our old way of living, because all hope has died with him. Then lo and behold, these women come rushing into the room and they say, he is not dead. He's alive. And it's because he's alive. There's hope. There is hope. And by the way, not only is there hope, but there's forgiveness. Peter, are you listening? You denied him three times, but he wants to talk to you. He wants to restore you. Anybody there? Anybody here need that? Anybody far from God today? Anybody committed egregious Ryan Lochte kind of sin? <laughs> you just lie, liar, liar, pants on fire, and you created all this. But you know what I saw last night? I saw a broken man. And I saw it in his eyes, and he was like, I am very sorry. I, I, I really messed up. And through my drunkenness, I made a lot of mistakes. And, and you could feel the nation begin to heal. I mean, heal behind him. You, you begin to see his heart heal up. And that's what happens when you confess. And that's what happens when there's hope again. And that's what's happening in this amazing story. His spirit was revived, the Bible says. The Hebrew word is recovered. <laughs> Restored, nourished up, and quickened. Oh, goodness, this is, this is just too much. This is too much. Mm. But we got to keep going because we haven't reached the climax yet. Number four is personal worship. So let's go to chapter 46, and I want to read verses 1 through 4 and take a page out of Jacob's life for just a minute. It says, so Israel... Hmm? Wait a minute. Who is that? That's Jacob, right? 
You see the way God does funny things? All along we've been saying, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. But remember, God changed his name to Israel. And now you're about to see the real Jacob shine. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to God, the God of his father, Isaac. God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night. <laughs> God spoke to his servant, Jacob. This is the eighth time, church, by the way, and last time. God will speak to Jacob in a vision. This same Jacob that wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ, he wrestles with the angel of God. And this same... <laughs> Y'all know Jacob walks like this now. He walks with a holy limp to remind him that he wrestled with God and he prevailed and, and God blessed him. So he said, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob said, here I am. And God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear. That's one of 365 times in the Bible. By the way, one for every day that God tells us, don't, don't fear. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. And I will go down with you. Anybody else need to hear that? Anybody here today in transition? Anybody here frightful and fearful and petrified about starting a new job or a new school year or maybe you and your, your spouse have just entered into a very difficult time. Maybe you've lost a loved one or maybe you and your spouse have parted ways or, or maybe there's difficulty in your job and maybe there's just, it's overwhelming and you just say, man, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And if God is with you, then that's all you need. I will go down to Egypt with you, Jacob. I will also surely bring you up again. Say, what? I wonder if he's going, what? Yes. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. And that's exactly what happens as we read. Jacob agrees to go to Egypt. But first he stops at Beersheba. If I had a, um, a map before you, I could show it to you. <laughs> a map that shows Canaan and at the southern tip, right before you branch out into the, the world of Egypt, there's a little place called Beersheba. In Beersheba is where Jacob used to live with his father, Isaac. And it was in Beersheba where... He had those moments of intimacy with his own father. And, and it's in Beersheba. One writer put it this way. He says, Beersheba's the point of no return. Because Jacob, you know, think about this, guys. Jacob, <laughs> and by the way, Jacob's not young. In chapter 47, verse 9, it says he's 130 years of age. And God is doing a momentous, massive, seismic, colossal change in the old man's life. And God is coming to the old man saying, don't, don't be so frightened because I know this is going to be really strange for you, but, but I'm God and I will be with you. So Jacob goes. And he goes, he leaves all that he knows, and he's entering into a foreign land. And as he goes into that foreign land and he's going into a place he, he's, he's, he's not familiar with, and he, maybe Jacob's thinking, but wait a minute, God. 
you told me this was my land, and this is my daddy's land, this is my granddaddy's land, and, and now, God, what are you doing? You're taking me to Egypt. Lord, I don't want to go to Egypt. There's a bunch of Egyptians in Egypt. I want to stay right here in Canaan, where in my people. And God says, no, I'm going to do something different. <laughs> is anybody here like me? You hate change. Man, some of y'all think, we want all these changes at Great Hills, and you're the instigator of it. Yeah, that's true, but I'm the kind of guy that gets up in the morning, I do the same thing every single morning. The same cup of coffee. Not the same cup of coffee. You know what I'm saying? New coffee, but same cup of coffee. Sit in the same, spend 30 minutes, an hour with Jesus in prayer, and, and then get, get my clothes on, and then go, go to church, go to work, and then I go to the gym, and I try to share Jesus wherever I go, and then I go home to my lovely wife. And no more kids. Amen. No more kids. And then... Uh, I'm just saying, guys, I'm just saying. Woo! I better be quiet for saying. So anyhow, where was I over here? And I do the same thing all the time, every day. And, and when change comes, when something different comes up on my radar, I don't like it. I don't like that. Change the name of the church. No! Go change this over here. No! Go do this. No! I, let me just stay where I am. And God says, I'm not going to let you stay where you are. We're going to change things up on you, Jacob. And Jacob says, okay, <laughs> you're God, I'm not. What's, what's going on? And God says, come on. And he leaves. He leaves. He goes to Egypt. And then God makes him a promise. He says, now watch what's going to happen. You're going to see Joseph. Joseph will put his eyes on his father, Jacob. Put his hands over his eyes. Transport his bones back to Canaan. Now watch this. 400 years later, there will be a massive 2 million-plus strong nation in Egypt. Pharaohs will rise that don't know Joseph. Persecution will come. Why, is all, why does that always happen? Somebody tell me, why does that always happen? I mean, things are going good. God, why do you let that mess happen? And God says, be quiet. I don't have to consult you. I don't have to ask you for your permission to be God. I'm just, God, be quiet. And I'm saying, okay, I'm sorry, Lord. Keep going. And then there's this massive exodus out of Egypt. God takes two million of them and Moses and Joshua and the gang, and, and he puts them back in the promised land. They're back. But you got this 400 years of wandering in, in, in Egypt. How I can say is just God's smarter than I am. He just, he just knows. He figures it out. But what's impressive to me is I'm in this point here of personal worship. And I hope this helps somebody. It really has helped me a lot. When you don't know what to do, worship God. When you don't know what to do, worship. When you don't know what to do, just get on your knees and say, God, you're bigger, you're better, you're awesome. And I'm just going to pour out my heart to you. And there's a lot of stuff I want to say here, but I'm just going to have to go. I'm going to have to keep going. All right, y'all ready, church? Here it comes. Joyful weeping. 
Could you do any better than that? Joyful weeping. I mean, come on, this is, this is the climax. Here it is. Look at verse 28. Here we go, and then we're done. Verse 28 of chapter 46. Unless y'all just want me to read all the genealogies of the people. I'm not. I'm just going, I believe it's all inspired, but I'm going to go to verse 28, all right? Then he sent Judah before him. Jacob did. Judah, who now is risen to the top, leader. To point him out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph, oh goodness. Now, I don't know, did Judah text Joseph and say, we're here? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how this happened. But Joseph knows my dad is home. He's in his new home. Joseph made ready his chariot. Can I just say that is a BMW Mercedes looking chariot. It's a fine looking chariot. And he went up to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. And here's what Joseph did. He goes, hello, Dad. I am the prime minister of Egypt. It is so good to see you. Do you recognize how amazing I am? <laughs> Look how I have arisen from the pit to the palace, Dad. That's not what he does. That's what arrogant people do. They want to tell you how great they are. Here, Joseph wants to tell his dad how great he is and how great God is. And so he, he, he presents himself. So he, this is a, humili a humble act. He, he falls on his neck and, and he, he embraces his dad and he weeps on his neck. Don't you love the Bible? For a good while. <laughs> you say, what does that mean? For a good while. It just wasn't an embrace, you know, like us manly men. Yeah. No, man, it's all out. It's just full-on embrace weeping. And Israel said to Joseph, just let me die. <laughs> I have seen your face. see my dad one day in heaven and we had such a horrible relationship I'm sorry church but before my dad died he, he told my uncle how proud he was of me his pastor's son he couldn't tell me, I accidentally overheard him tell my uncle on his deathbed how proud he was of me. And I'm, I don't know, Ashley, this is hard. One day, I will see my dad, and it's going to be okay. It's just going to be okay. Hey, listen, if you're a dad today, man, tell him and let him hear it from you. Don't let him hear it secondhand. Just... Tell your son, tell your daughter how much you love them. I about wore my kids out. I've told my kids repeatedly over and over, and maybe that's why. 
they want to hang out with me as, as an old 52-year-old guy and my wife because, because they know we love them and we've told them through the, through the years. And some of you guys say, well, it's too late for me. I, I, it's too late. No, it's not. If they're still alive and you're still alive, it's, it's not too late. This is not in my notes. You praying guys, Felix and Fred, Ken, you guys, and, and Bob Gorham, they always pray, God, show up when he preaches and say stuff he wasn't planning on it. Y'all can blame it on them. That's a mess. Right, give me some of those, brothers. That's good. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ken. So, I know, that's nasty. Y'all just hang in there. Really nasty. Okay. So there's this re weeping, there's this reunion. And I love reunions. I, I do. I'm, I like being reunited. Um, that's what was so fun, actually, about the wedding, seeing family and friends we haven't seen in years. And what time is it? It's 12 o'clock. I'm, I'm almost done. Let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you a couple more things, and then we are done. There's this. True story, a man by the name of David Redding. He, the World War II um, veteran. He and his family raised uh, sheep, and they had a beautiful farm. And um, his neighbor was a poor man, had awful sheep, but he had an amazing dog. <laughs> and so they made a bargain. David Redding's father says, Listen, we will. We will allow our ram to mate with your pitiful sheep so you can have good sheep. Would you give us the choice of the litter when you have puppies through that male dog? And they say, yeah, sounds good. So that's how Teddy came about. Teddy was this, oh, there's a name for these dogs. Hold on. Big black Scottish shepherd. That's what he was. And David said, you know, that dog and I got really close. He said, we lived out on a farm, and, and, and Teddy and I, we would spend all this time together. As, as He said, I spent more time with him than anybody. He said, I'd go to school. First person, per, I say person, first thing to meet me when I get back to school, there's Teddy. He's just loving on me. We'd go out in the summer days, and we'd herd those sheep, work those sheep, and Teddy would stay with me all the time. He said, Teddy was big and bad to the bone. When you got within a half a mile of their property, guess what Teddy did? <laughs> he barked. He barked his head off. And he would just say, all right, family, listen up. There's something out there. That's what Teddy is. Teddy's job. He's protecting the family. And David said, I had to go to war. How do you tell you, how do you tell your dog, I'm about to leave you, and you probably never see me again? And so he just said, Teddy, goodbye. And so he went to the war, and the war's over. He comes back years later. <laughs> And he, he said, I got off the, the bus, and the bus dropped me off at 11 p.m., and it was 14 miles to my home. He said, so I just started walking, and, and I started walking, and I got within a half a mile of my house, and I heard this bark, this ferocious bark, and he just kind of chuckled. He said, that, that was Teddy. And then he said, I whistled, one whistle, and the bark became a yelp. <laughs> Anybody know what that is? If you got those beasts in your life, you know what that is. That's just that yelp of, <gasps> and he said these words. David said, I couldn't see him, 
but I knew it was coming. <laughs> he said, I knew any minute now I'm walking and I'm about to be tackled by this big black Scottish dog. And sure enough, there come that dog and he leapt into his master's arms and they just hugged each other. Dogs can hug you. It's the strangest thing, a little paws, you know, and they just hugged each other. And David Redding took from this story, true story, and he, and he says these words. He says, what comes home to me now is the eloquence with which that unforgettable memory speaks to me of my God. If my dog, without any explanation, would love me and take me back after all of that time, would not my God. Reunions. Estranged brothers, distant dads, a God that you think is far off in the galaxy doing something far more important than you, and yet the thing that's dearest to his heart is you. Reunions. Well, amen, brothers and sisters. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is alive and it speaks to us. And Lord, it spoke to me today in ways I was not anticipating. And, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. It is so good. Lord, I pray for people that are in this room right now, right here. God, those that are far from God. Those who maybe have just stumbled into church today, and yet they've been arrested by the Spirit of God. They've been drawn to the Father through the Son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that there would be that ultimate reunion of, of a, a distant soul, a prodigal child with a loving heavenly father. Through the son, through Jesus, I pray that reconciliation would happen today. Oh God, I'm asking you to grant that today. I'm also praying, Lord, now for distant dads and sons or maybe moms and sons or moms and daughters or daddies and daughters that are separated or grandparents and I just pray, Lord, for repentance, for humility, for reconciliation of distant parties. Lord, for change, we talked about that, and that's a hard thing for all of us. Would you help us, God? We know that these are crazy days in which we live. Lord, we can change methods and names and stuff, but we'll never change the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, for that. That we stand on the Word of God. We stand... We stand in the faith of our fathers, and we, we never waver from that. But, Lord, help us, help us with change. And, and Lord, for some, as we, as we pray and as we wrap this up, Lord, I, I, I pray for those that are, Lord, they just need a church. They need a community. They need to be a part of something larger than themselves. And I know, Lord, church and church membership has fallen on difficult times in this so crazy world. But, Lord, it's still valid, but still your idea for a people to unite and to lock arms and to be faithful to you and to one another. So we're praying, Lord, you'd bring some, some soldiers, Lord, some people into our life and into our church that will, Lord, they'll just fall in love with this place as we have, and they will want to serve and, and want to be here. And so, Lord, I just thank you for your, your goodness and for your grace, God. I thank you. I just thank you for being yourself, and I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up. We'll have our invitation today. God bless you.